We're in John chapter 10, and all of John chapter 9 is devoted to Jesus' healing of the man that was born blind. And actually, it goes through the middle of chapter 10, where Jesus refers to this man born blind being healed. Uh, Jesus has confronted the Jewish rulers about their sin. And they ask Jesus openly, are we blind also? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But you declare that you see or understand and your claim to know God and you consider yourself the enlightened ones, therefore your sin remains. And what it's saying here, with knowledge comes responsibility. They, the rulers had the sin of presuming to be knowledgeable of the ways of God. And they claim that they are Moses' disciples, but... Uh, Jesus said, you don't know Moses, who gave you the law from my Father God, nor do you know God the Father. And he says, you rulers, you Pharisees, lead the people away from God, not to God. Quite an indictment. Pastors, teachers, priests, prophets... All of those should point and lead those who listen to them to God. These Jewish priests and Pharisees have made the path, the way to God, only difficult through their interpretation of the law. They have blinded the people of the grace of God and turned the law into being so burdensome that no one can keep it. And Jesus will now teach upon being a good shepherd. And that's just another way of saying being a good leader, being a good teacher, being a good rabbi, being a good pastor, whatever. So let's read uh, John 10, 1 through 6. Most assuredly, I say to you, you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but claims, climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings them out, his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Jesus begins this teaching with most assuredly. And that's a kind of a common way of Jesus saying, listen up. And he, he uses that term in John 
quite often. And this is most assuredly is like a solemn word from God, from the Son of God, rather, to mankind. This most assuredly follows after the treatment of the Pharisees and the rulers towards the blind man that was healed. The leaders, they're cruel, out, outright cruel to this fellow that's been cured of his blindness, been healed, and they kick him out of synagogue. They austerize him by putting him out of worship in the Jewish faith. That's interesting. You cannot enter into the service of God by birth, i.e., your race, the Jewish race. The Jews thought the Jews thought they had corner on the market with God. And they set down rules of the law, interpretations of the law that were basically for Jews. You cannot serve God, enter into his service by political appointment or going to the proper seminary schools. These Jewish leaders are thieves and robbers not having been called by God, not obeying the commandment to love one another or love those that you are shepherding over. These Jewish leaders never sacrificed of themselves in any way to the people. In the Calvary Chapel movement, which we're part of, <laughs> the passing of a pastor to his son goes on quite often. Now, that can be of the Lord or it can be a burden that you place upon your family that is not of God. Some of these pastor sons in the Calvary movement are indeed called by God. But there are some that are questionable. I was guilty of urging one of my sons to enter the ministry. And with 2020 hindsight, he was not called to be a pastor or to lead a fellowship, and it became very obvious. Now, he is a believer, but he's not a church leader like I envisioned for him to be, and that was a burden that I put upon him that should have never been put on him. Verse 3. Back when... Uh, Shepherding was a profession, or, and there were a lot of animals that were kept by shepherds. They would make a common corral near a city or near Jerusalem where you could bring your flock of sheep and then put them in the sheepfold and go about your business in the city or whatever. 
And these common corrals would have one doorway, one opening, one gate. And the doorkeeper that was uh, assigned, he would guard that one opening. And when the shepherds returned to get their flocks, to get their sheep, they would simply call to their sheep. And their sheep would come out of the corral and follow them. Because they knew his voice. Are you ready for a farm example? (laughs) My cows, all ten of them, know my voice. They really do. They can be beyond the woods in the back pasture, and I will go out and call them, and they will come running. That's the truth. They come running because they think I'm going to give them a little sweet feed. You've got to have a reason for them to come. But they will come because they know my voice. But every now and again, one of the cows will wander outside of the fence. And they enjoy this temporary freedom they have. But everyone that goes outside of the fence begins to look for a way to get back into the pasture, into the fence area. And so to round them up, I have to go open the gate and then basically lead them around to where they can get back in. Now, my daughter was here with Claire, my youngest granddaughter, and we have a calf, and I let her name the calf. That's not a good idea. Zippy. I said, sweetie, you want to call a cow Zippy? Zippy was this cow's name, this little calf. But the shepherds named their sheep. And sheep will scatter until they hear their shepherd's voice and he will begin to call them out by name. Jesus gives an illustration here that should be understood by all the the people of that society. The locals for sure who lived in agrarian type existence. But the rulers, they do not understand So let's read verses 7 through 20. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. But a hireling, he who is not of the shepherd, one who does not own his sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. 
As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I will bring, and they will hear my voice, and they will, will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This command I received from my father. Therefore, there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Verse 7 we have there, Jesus says again in this passage, most assuredly. Or, in other words, hear what I say. I am the door. I am the entrance for sheep or believers. And all those who, who come before me are thieves and robbers. Notice the singularity there of Jesus being the entrance of salvation or the door for the sheep the only door now I do not have to tell you that there are many other religions in this world that are nothing more than thieves and robbers and their prey their goal is to steal souls note that thieves and robbers are there to steal and to kill. They're there. Not were there, past tense, but are there, present tense. There is an ecumenical movement, especially within the Muslim faith, that we Christians and the Muslims serve the same God. I had a Muslim man try to tell me how Jesus was a great prophet. And all the Muslims have great respect for Jesus. I had one question for this man. Is Jesus God? And he said, no, there's only one God, and that's Allah. And I said, there's the difference. Christians acknowledge Jesus as God. And we do. And he is. Consider this. Thievery indicates deception. They're thieves and robbers. Robbery implies violence. And these are the methods of a thief. Deception and violence. Verse 10, Jesus declares, I have come that believers may have life, life abundantly. The abundant life has characteristics. An abundant life has stamina. It has energy. There's no limitations in the abundant life. The abundant life has ability to accomplish. 
and the abundant life is enjoyable. In verse 11, Jesus describes himself as a good shepherd giving his life for the sheep. One of the reasons I believe that King David was considered a man after God's own heart was David was willing to face death as a shepherd for his sheep. He was willing to die for them. When when Goliath is issuing the challenge to Israel, King King Saul wants to know if there's anybody that will go fight. And we hear David declare, hey, let me fight Goliath, for I have killed the lion and I have killed the bear to protect my father's sheep. David was a shepherd willing to lay down his life for the sheep. And Jesus says here, I am the good shepherd. And not only does Jesus die for the sheep, Jesus, by living, gives us life abundantly. Sometimes we miss that. We know the benefits of Jesus dying on the cross and being our sacrifice, but he lives to give us life abundantly. We know that Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father in heaven making intercession for us. Praying for us, if you will. We know that Jesus, as the good shepherd, leads us beside still waters. In other words, he prepares a way for us. He prepares a good path for us. I know one of my common prayers is, Lord, go before us. Lead and guide us. Take care of us. Lead us by your spirit. Because we know he's the good shepherd. And then Jesus will make a contrast between a good shepherd and a hireling. A hireling considers the sheep that they are there for his benefit. And a hireling will not put his life on the line for the sheep. Jesus declares in verse 16, I have other sheep, not of this flock. And he's speaking of Gentiles. And he says, I must gather them. Gather Gentiles into the flock of God and having one shepherd. Verse 17, and I have the love of my father. And then he tells us why. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And he says, because I'm willing to do this, the Father loves me. There is a teaching in some sections of, I almost want to call it cultish Christian denominations, that Jesus helplessly descended into hell and was trapped there except God the Father rescued him. 
Jesus says, I have power to lay down my life and take it up again. Jesus has the power. Jesus spoke of his death on the cross and also that speaking of the power to take it up again is his resurrection. And when we look back upon the cross, we begin to understand the fullness of Jesus laying down his life. And then Jesus tells us, I will take it up again. And he's speaking of his resurrection. This statement by Jesus, it brings a division among the people that he's there talking to him. He's declaring, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But you know, that divided the people, him declaring that he would lay down his life and take it up again. And that still divides people today. It's, it's very difficult for a secular-minded person to accept the atonement death of Jesus 2,000 years ago, giving us eternal life. That is a difficult concept for them to wrap their mind around. And it was a difficult concept for the people there in the temple at Jerusalem. For some of them said, he's crazy, speaking of Jesus, or he's mad. What is he talking about? Some said Jesus had a demon. He said, these are the words of a demon. And they conclude, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Those are the believers that come to that. And we go back to this thought of Jesus healing the man born blind. And this healing of Jesus of that blind man is proof proof that Jesus speaks the truth because he backs up his statements with the healing of a man born blind you remember when the disciples asked Jesus about the blind man who sinned this man or his parents and Jesus said neither but that the works of God might be made known in him this man was born blind for the purpose of God. This man receives sight and it causes people to stop and consider who Jesus is. He served a purpose in God's kingdom for people to believe. This healing of the blind man was a miracle that no one could deny. This blind man is questioned by the religious leaders and several times he says, Hey, look, I was blind, but now I see who Jesus is. I'm not really sure, but he finds out and he worships Jesus. And this testimony to the religious leaders causes them to kick the blind man out of synagogue. The blind man paid a price for his witness of Jesus. 
And when friends or acquaintances hear your testimony and my testimony, perhaps it will spark in them a reason to believe. They want to know why we're so joyful. Why do we have a purpose in life? And that purpose, of course, is our Lord and Savior. When people see the abundant life that we live, and that doesn't mean being rich and famous and all that, but it's just being happy and content with our way of life. It convinces them of the truth of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.